Welcome to Porter Wright's Antitrust Law Source. Hi, this is Jay Levine. I'm a partner in the D.C. office of uh, Porter Wright, Morris and Arthur. Um, I'm sitting here with Colleen Marshall, who's a senior attorney in our litigation department, and perhaps more importantly, is the main anchor at uh, NBC4, the local uh, Columbus affiliate. Um, and perhaps even more importantly, she's also the host of the number one rated show in Columbus, the political show, The Spectrum. Uh, good morning. Good morning, and thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here. Um, I, since we have Colleen here, I thought it would be really important to pick her brain a little bit about crisis management. As you know, um, certainly in the antitrust field, but in a lot of areas, companies will experience at one point or another a crisis. In, in the antitrust field, uh, Lord knows an indictment comes down against a company. What are they going to do? Reporters are going to call. Customers are going to call. Vendors are going to call. What is the message you need to get out? So without any further ado, Colleen, how does a company prepare for a crisis? You know, what I have found is it's, it's startling how many companies don't have a plan in place. Hmm. That they don't have, um, you know, first of all, be- long before the crisis hits, you should have a crisis management team in place. They should routinely and regularly meet. They should have strategies for crisis. And depending on what kind of a business you have, you know what kind of crisis is likely to hit. Uh, You know, you're in the antitrust field, and you have companies, I'm sure, that have uh, data breaches or have, uh, you know, suddenly find themselves on the receiving end of a federal investigation. Absolutely. And aren't you stunned at the number of them that don't have a crisis plan in place? No, absolutely. I mean, they're good at doing their business. They're not necessarily good at handling the outside media's attention of their business. Uh, you know, it, it's you say there's a crisis management team. Is there a certain um, infrastructure that needs to be in place, a certain size the team needs to be in place? It probably depends on the type of business and the size of the business. Mm-hmm. But at the very least, I would think that, you know, this team should include the lawyer, mm-hmm. you know, whether that's inside or outside counsel, should be part of the planning strat- and strategizing, uh, you know, the director of the company the, and maybe the HR person, mm-hmm. depending on, on whether or not. And maybe um, if you have a media relations specialist, a lot of companies don't have PR people right. in place. But, you know, those kinds of people should sit around a table and, and lay out a plan for dealing with the media for dealing with their employees and for dealing with the public. And it's important to have someone that everyone inside your organization knows is the spokesman for the company, whether that's, you know, sometimes CEOs aren't comfortable (laughs) in front of a camera. Absolutely. And sometimes um, attorneys aren't comfortable in front of a camera. But I've known attorneys who are great media strategists, too. And so, you know, you depending on the people that you have available to you, you have to make that decision ahead of time. But importantly, the employees have to know who that person is. And you also, ahead of time, you know, have a policy and talk to your employees about social media sure. and communicating from information that's internal information and taking it outside the company. You know, if you talk to some of our labor specialists here at Porter Wright, they will, you know, tell you stories that'll just raise your hair because you can't believe what people have said about their own employer on Facebook. 
on Twitter, Twitter yeah. you know, sending out information that, that you, you know, it's free speech. This is America. But, right. you know, it, it's smart. There's a to, price to pay. Right. And it's smart to convey to your employees that you're going to be monitoring those kinds of things and that your hope and your expectation is that they're going to be a team player. Right. And they're not going to put, you know, disparaging information or information that may not be reliable out to the public. So well, that's that's the bottom line, what should be in place before the before crisis anything is. happens. And I assume also what'll, what will affect the size and the scope of this team and this crisis management plan will be, you know, if you're a public company, right. there are certain events that you may have to publicly disclose, either right. in an 8K or in some federal um, um, disclosure form. Um, and also if you're in an industry that you already know is going to be under s- some amount of scrutiny, you know, just, you know, taking from the front pages of the Wall Street Journal, the auto parts industry, you know you're already in, in an industry that's heavily under investigation, right? And that consumers think they have a right to know what you're doing in there. Right. Because they're buying your product. Whether they do or they don't, they <laughs> right. think they have that right. That's so, right. Okay, so you have the management uh, crisis management, you know, policy and plan in place. And for years, nothing happens and people start to fall asleep. And of course, one day when you least expect it, it happens. Yeah. What has to happen then? Well, first of all, if you have your crisis management plan in place, everyone should know that that spokesman, that that point person is who everything is directed to. And that person should be geared and ready for action. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I always advise people, and some attorneys don't like to hear me say this, <laughs> but no comment is not a good comment. Yeah, I mean, that's our natural reaction, right? The we don't want to give out rea- information. You, know, you don't have any obligation to answer right. a reporter's phone call. You, right. you don't have an obligation. But you not answering doesn't make the story go away. Reporters don't go away. Mm. What that does is remove their obligation. Mm. to give your side of the story. You no longer have a seat at the table. I see. I think it's wiser to con- try to control the information that's going out there, not not in a deceptive way, right? but in a way where you focus the media attention the way you want it to be focused to the best of your ability at the time of this crisis. And you can only do that by answering the questions. You can only do that by having someone answer the questions. And whether mm. that, you know, and, and there are strategies for getting, for, you know, my, my friends in the media wouldn't like to hear me say <laughs> this, but there are strategies for controlling the conversation, for taking it the way you want it to be, and for making this a, as positive a situation as you can make it. You know, um, I'll give you an example here locally. It wasn't anything we had to do with legally. It was just something I observed from the, my, my, you know, with my media hat on. Right. Uh, a local retirement center had a Legionnaire's disease outbreak, and it wow. was it was a terrible crisis. Mm-hmm. And eventually, over the period of two weeks, nine people died. Yeah, it is tragic. They handled that tragic situation in as good a way as you could possibly handle it. Hmm. They had their CEO available for interviews the very first day. Right. They had um, her giving information about how closely they were working with the health department, what they were doing to research the disease. They were running chemicals and, and bleaches through their water system. They took reporters and cameras inside and showed them that. 
Interesting. They showed how they were bringing bottled water in for all of the residents. They had residents available to be interviewed, and these residents were saying things like, well, I lived through World War II. We'll get through this. They're doing everything they can. They handled it as well as you could possibly handle that situation. It was a full-on response. It was a full-on response. They were the ones giving health updates every single day. Wow. They were giving the statistics out instead of waiting for reporters. And, and in the end, they ended up looking like a responsible corporate citizen. And um, as bad as the tragedy was, they handled it as well as you could handle Interesting. it. Interesting. Well, something you said brought up a couple of questions. First, you know, you said this local health facility made their CEO available. The choice of who to make available, I mean, I assume will partly depend on the nature and the charisma of the person in charge. But, you know, if you don't put your top dog out there, does that somehow imply you're not being the most truthful? I mean, if you're putting some VP instead of the CEO, is that a problem? I don't think so. I think that, you know, no one knows the personality of your your (laughs) upper management like you know it. Right. You know, like you know it yourself. And as long as you put a competent, responsible person who seems to know what they're talking about, who's in a position to give out truthful and, uh, you know, information in the best way possible, I don't, I don't think that can be anything but a positive. Okay. It's okay to put out a vice president. It's okay to have your attorney be your spokesperson. Mm-hmm. It's okay to have a media person as long as the media person isn't being evasive. Okay. And that, that's, there's a tendency when you're media spokespeople, you start to be guarded because you don't want your bosses to be angry. At you. Right, sure. So you, you need to have someone who can truthfully, but in a competent and controlled way, answer the questions. And, and I truly believe that, and, and I'm going to give you a, media, a little inside media tip. Okay. Okay, so your, your CEO, let's say, sits down to have a conversation about something that they really don't want to talk about. Right. <laughs> like the crisis facing like their the company. Like the crisis. Right. Like the crisis or like a, an emissions problem or a, a data breach that he doesn't, he or she doesn't know the extent of the yeah. breach yet. Yeah. It's okay to take charge, especially if it is a television interview. This works more effectively. To, to when the first question comes out, how many people are damaged by whatever you've done? You can say, you know, that's a great question. Let me give you the background that's important for you to understand. Ah, so your message gets and, in there. And you get the message out at the front of that interview because chances are if that tape is edited later, it's the front of the interview. Mm-hmm. The producer or the editor is going to be listening to first when they're trying to pull that sound bite. And... The other piece of advice when you're doing a broadcast interview, whether it's radio or television, is to try to keep your answers concise and direct. You know, if there really is truth to the 10 to 15 second soundbite. Right. Get your message out early and concise. That's hard for most of us lawyers, but... It is. Um, it's very difficult. For lawyers who want to get, well, sound professorial. Exactly. That like doesn't we know work what we're talking in broadcasting. About. Right. Now, you're going to have more time to sit down with a print journalist. Well, that actually, you, you sort of anticipated my second question, is I wanted to pull back the curtain and use your sort of media hat um, on, you know, how to respond and what's the most effective way to respond. But let's, you, you've answered it for a television or a radio um, interview. I know I've been interviewed by print media before, and, you know, I've, sound, I've waxed poetic about whatever case <laughs> they're asking me on, and I thought I sounded absolutely brilliant. And then I see my interview that lasted maybe 15, 20 minutes reduced to a sentence, 
Um, and I wonder why did they pick that sentence? What tips do you have for somebody who's going to be interviewed by a print journalist? You know, in some ways, the, the tip is the same. And, okay. and it's because they are also looking for that little nugget, uh -huh. that little headline, that, that piece of information that's going to make what you're saying stand out. But remember that print journalists and really even broadcast journalists are still looking to you for background as well. Right. So you can control that. You can give them, you can shape the conversation the way you want it to go for background. But, you know, I, I remember one time I, I had a good friend and a number of years ago when I was working in another city, she worked for the, for the newspaper, and I worked at the time at, at a radio station, and we were covering the same murder trial. Mm. And it was in another county, so we were carpooling back and forth covering <laughs> this murder trial. And at the, at the next morning, I would notice that her, the headline for her story would usually be the soundbite that I picked. So we were covering this trial for all day long, right. and we each would pull out one or two nuggets that we found to be most important. So huh. really, print and broadcast journalists are very much alike. They are looking to you for that piece of information that is central to their message the to their nugget. audience. That's right. Oh, interesting. Well, we talked a little bit about how to respond to an immediate crisis, but that's in the short term. What about long term? I mean, you know, a data breach, an EPA, an indict, a federal indictment with follow-on civil actions that last for 10, 12, 15 years. What, what do we tell companies, you know, how to respond to that? Are there long-term strategies? You know, and much of it, I think, goes along with what you tell your clients on how to prepare for possible litigation. Mm -hmm. And it is uh, preserve, you know, the information know where it is, mm -hmm. whoever the spokesperson is, keep them up to date with what's going on, with what you want to be released to the public, with what you consider to be protected information, make sure they know that. Make sure your employees know that this is ongoing litigation and they're not to discuss it. You make the same kinds of strategies that you make really for handling a legal case. You communicate with your client, you make sure that everyone knows what has to be preserved, you make sure everyone knows who that spokesperson is, and that mm. that person is up to date each step of the way with this case because it's going to be a marathon, not a sprint. And you've got to make sure that you're controlling information in the same way that you're controlling your evidence. And I assume as people move up or out of the company, you transition that information to whoever's going to fill that role. Right, and you make sure that the people who are leaving your company know that you still have an expectation that they will honor right. your privacy. Yeah. Right, and you have an agreement with them not to right. divulge any confidential information. And much like, say, trade secret information, this information would be a part of that too. Well, I think that has been very useful information. My last question is, do you ever videotape people to see how they would appear on camera? And, I do. And, and critique them? We actually have helped clients um, go through some mock interviews and ask them the kinds of questions mm -hmm. that they think that they might get. Um, and it's been very helpful for people who aren't used to being on camera. <laughs> and sometimes we'll put them on camera and let them look at themselves. Kind of like deposition training a right. little bit, too. deposition training. It's the same thing. And we will let them know, you know, what's important to remember is sometimes the reporter who's coming into this room to talk to you and ask you these detailed questions about your company or your crisis, 
this might be the first time they've ever faced this issue. Mm-hmm. It might be the first time they've ever, you know, been to a company like yours. They don't know what to ask you. Yeah. And they're maybe gathering information about your company while they're in the car on the way there. <laughs> be prepared for that. Be prepared to give them some background and be prepared for tough questions. And, right. and that's why, you know, the mock interview, especially if you're in like a data breach situation or you are in an antitrust matter where the government is investigating sure. your company, you know, be prepared for what you can answer, what you can't answer, what you want the reporter to know and what you want the public to know because that's all very important. Excellent. Wonderful. Well, this has been a pleasure for me and an educational uh, exercise for me as well. Thank you very much, Colleen. Thanks. This has been Colleen Marshall, who uh, not only is a uh, litigation specialist, but a media specialist as well, and the anchor uh, in the local NBC affiliate. Um, I'm Jay Levine, a partner in uh, Porterite as well, and um, we thank you for listening. Porter Wright Morrison Arthur LLP offers this content for informational purposes only as a service for our clients and friends. This content is not intended as legal advice for any purpose and you should not consider it as such. All rights reserved.